Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. Before we start, we want to highlight FACT's platinum sponsor, the National Peanut Board, and thank them for their years of continued support and partnership. Even the best laid plans regarding school accommodations for students with food allergies can go wrong. Today, we're exploring what can you do if your child's 504 plan has been violated, or even if you're receiving pushback on establishing those accommodations. We're sitting down with FACT's Vice President of Civil Rights Advocacy and General Counsel, Amelia Smith, to get tips and information on how to tackle this very successfully so your student can enjoy a wonderful school year. Welcome, Amelia, back to FACT's Roundtable podcast. This is going to be a great conversation today about what to do when things don't go as planned with accommodations. I do too, Caroline. I think it's going to be great. Let's get to it. I'm excited. You got it. Let's waste no time digging into today's conversation about what to do when school accommodations go awry. So what are the common challenges in the food allergy community regarding accommodation complaints that you see? So Caroline, things can go amiss or awry in several different ways. The first way, of course, being you ask for an accommodation plan from your school and you get the response we don't do accommodations for food allergies. That has been you know, something that we have consistently heard over the year, and we are still fighting against that. To address that concern, I would direct a person to our website in the civil rights advocacy section, or now it's the accommodation section. I had the hardest time switching over to that because I've been in civil rights advocacy tab for nine years, nine plus years. Now it's the accommodations tab. And under the accommodations tab, we have, of course, section for accommodation in schools and an overview of 504, which has a a section called what is the significance of section 504 to a student with food allergies. In this section, you will see the legal definition of a disability, and it explains how these disability laws apply to food allergies and how food allergies can be considered a disability and therefore eligible. So, of course, you know, we go back to it. Education is always one really good way to address these challenges. So the school may just need to be educated on how food allergies are a disability that require individual accommodations. That's another thing we often hear is, well, we, you know, we have a policy for food allergies. We have a district-wide or a school-wide food allergy policy, so you shouldn't need accommodations. Well, the response to that is, of course, that accommodations under disability law are supposed to be individualized, both for Section 504 and the IDEA. So you want to make sure that you keep the focus, as I always say, on the individual student. And you can use our resources to reference that as well and to educate your school on that. 
The second area that we often see problems involving accommodations and accommodation plans is when a school refuses to grant you an accommodation that you're seeking. You know, we often see this for hand washing, which, as I've said in previous podcasts recently, COVID has helped us in this area, but we are seeing schools start to slide back into pre-COVID objections to hand washing, that there's not enough instructional time that it takes too much instructional time, especially with younger children, to run them all through the bathroom to wash their hands or through the, you know, the line of the classroom sink to wash their hands. Of course, a common response to that objection would be, okay, well, you can provide hand wipes. We know through studies, which we actually do have the study referenced in the education section of our website and some of the footnotes on cleaning. And if you need that study, I can send it to you if you'll email me or I can give it to Caroline and let her put it in the show notes. So I'll do that. But we'll have the study listed there for you to pull up and use that when you discuss cleaning issues or hand washing issues with the school. Another common objection that we hear is food in the classroom. Of course, we're still fighting food in the classroom, whether it's uses manipulatives or rewards, treats, parties in the classroom, birthday celebrations. And we still have some schools that haven't gone back to eating in the cafeteria after COVID. They like the fact that they weren't having to have that transfer time take away from their instructional time. That poses a challenge in and of itself. And I recently have had really good success in this area with making sure that you have a physician from your student's healthcare provider preferably a board-certified allergist, but any healthcare provider statement should work. Um, We do have a sample parental letter on our website, but it's very important to have the medical evidence to support the accommodations you're requesting oftentimes, especially, unfortunately, as food allergy parents. We often have the reputation of trying to seek things that our students don't need, going overboard, you know, the, the allergy helicopter parent comments that we hear. And we, in fact, are doing our best to contradict and prove that that is not correct. But unfortunately, there are some parents that do ask for more than their student needs. And so when you do hit this wall, a really good response to a rejected accommodation request is medical documentation to support the need. I had a district this week that absolutely adamantly told the parent that they could not give her anything that she requested as far as food allergy accommodations. She took our letter, took it to her physician. Actually, she uploaded it on the portal and asked her physician to fill it out or to write something similar to our letter for her student. She emailed the accommodation plan to her SPED director because her student's an IEP student, but it would qualify. This would apply to 504 students as well. She emailed it to the SPED director, special education director, at 4.55 on Tuesday. And they called her yesterday morning, Wednesday. So the very next morning, first thing, requested a meeting. And she walked out two hours later with everything she requested. Simply by providing them the medical documentation and saying, okay, now we have this. Where do we go from here? I'm really glad to hear that that helped with providing medical evidence, because I think sometimes we forget that schools look at us like we're helicopter moms or overprotective parents trying to do their best for their child, but they're not fully believing you know, our request. So I think when you come in with the truth like this and some hard facts, then like you're saying, they have something to launch off with and something to work with. 
evidence supporting what your student needs. But education about food allergies in general is often really needed. So um, we do offer a lot of, like I said, the educational material on our website, not just education about civil rights advocacy issues and how food allergies and disability laws work together, but also just allergy basics. I know we have those dots that don't connect still with some of our schools. And so we do have a lot of, of course, free and downloadable printable resources. And we have the Facts for School training program for educators that's also available and free and downloadable on our website. So these may be tools that you also want to either give to your school or tell your school about to help them understand food allergies more. I still think a lot of our problems are due to lack of education and knowledge. The best way to handle that is to give them the education and knowledge that they need. I wholeheartedly agree. And I have to say, just from personal experience again, when we've tried to go in and make a point about food allergies, we'll bring a stack of information exactly like that. And I think that is just brilliant suggesting the school curricula program because that shows this is serious and people around the country are actually using this program to educate. And I think that just gets the attention. So they really start to learn because honestly, once people learn about food allergies, and what's needed, they usually get supportive right away. I agree. You know, the fact that food allergies are still or claims about food allergies, requests for accommodations for food allergies, we're not dealing with a food preference here. And unfortunately, we still get that reputation somewhat. So again, like you said, it's important to go in with this information and you don't have to wait until there's a problem to provide this information either. It's great to head off a problem by providing the information. Prevention is absolutely key. So now let's dig into finding solutions. So what steps do you suggest a parent or caregiver take to evaluate a situation that comes up to determine how to approach it? For example, let's use a fictitious situation of an accommodation plan that restricts allergens in the classroom, and then the teacher allows a party with food containing the allergen. So now what? What should the parent do? Child comes home, explains what happens. What do you suggest to take place next? Well, I think the first thing that should happen, and I can speak from personal experience here as well, you know, as a parent of a child with food allergies, they come home, they tell you that something violated their accommodation plan. So-and-so brought such and such, and we ate it in the classroom. As a parent of child with food allergies, when I've heard that in the past, my head has wanted to explode. You know, that's the first thing is, how could they do this? They're violating the law. They've, they're just wrong. All of those emotions come to the surface first, or at least they do for me. And I know from experience with other families and offering the one-on-one support that we do, that that tends to be the initial reaction. In that case, of course, the first thing you want to do is stop. Before you say anything to anyone, stop, take a breath, try to do something maybe to put yourself in a better mood. Reach out to a friend, our trusted friend, a, you know, a member of a food allergy support group or a local support group leader, someone that you can bounce ideas off of or at least vent to. Get that out there. Then the next step would be to think about the motivation behind it. The teacher may not have known. They may have missed it in the ingredient label. You know, there are all kinds of ways that it could have been a mistake or an accident. We know a lot of times these are mistakes and accidents. Now, does that completely excuse the situation? No, it doesn't. But nine times out of 10, these incidences are not malicious. 
So it's important to realize that you need to approach the situation with that same collaborative approach that we encourage in establishing accommodations to begin with. If it is food brought into a party, if you do think or have reason to believe that it may have been an honest mistake, email the teacher and ask, you know, say, okay, my son has told me this. Can you verify it? Because especially with younger students, it may have been a safe food that looks like an unsafe food. You know, we do have that problems where, you know, some areas have bakeries that can provide safe treats. And the student may mistakenly think that it is an allergy issue when it's not. It's important to receive that confirmation from the school or from the teacher that, yes, okay, this did happen. And then you can take it and turn it into something positive. Okay, well, we need to just make sure that it doesn't happen again. So how can we do that? You know, where did we go wrong here? What fell through the cracks that things didn't happen correctly? Now, that would happen in an allergen-free classroom. A food-free classroom, we pretty much know there's a problem there. But again, we would say, okay, this is against my thought. You know, this is not supposed to happen under our accommodation plan. We need to address that and we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. So, you know, what do we need to do? That's the case when, you know, as you're in your example, it happens once or twice. It's an accident. That's not the case when it is a repeat occurrence, an ongoing problem. And I know that some people may hear this and be shocked that the vice president of civil rights advocacy and an attorney is not saying, call the OCR. But it's not necessary to call the OCR or to get the SPED director or the 504 coordinator involved in a very small incident that can be addressed, especially if you have a good working relationship with the teacher or with the the counselor at the school or the school nurse or the principal. And then you would go to the 504 coordinator or the SPED director. There are a lot of steps in between contacting the OCR for a simple mistake. Of course, if you're not sure where you are in this process, feel free to reach out to a fact that is, you know, we offer a free one-on-one support service for families. You can email me at amelia.smith at foodallergyawareness.org and we can brainstorm. We can discuss what happened and figure out where to go, you know, some ideas of what you might do to address the situation. Now that is if, of course, you can always contact me, but the the emailing and the documenting and the the working together, that applies when it's an accident or it only occurs once or twice. It's something that you can work through. That's not necessarily the case when it's a repeat or systemic issue, ongoing problems. At that point in time, we need to get more serious. We need to make sure that we are sending that documentation and copying everyone in the district that might possibly have anything to do with your student's accommodation plan being followed. That may be a time to contact the OCR and technical assistance to see where to go from there. Again, you can contact me and we can discuss possible solutions and where to go. Or you can go ahead and file an OCR complaint against the district. OCR complaints, federal lawsuits, these are all available remedies, but it is the nuclear option. Once you file that complaint, once you hire an attorney to file a lawsuit, I'm not saying you can't hire an attorney or an advocate because they are also great resources, especially in the area of problems with the school. They are great tools and assistance to come in and say, okay, you're being a little a little unreasonable here, or the school's being unreasonable. Let's try they do the same thing I do. 
they're local and they can help you actually in your meeting. But as far as a nuclear option, once you file that OCR complaint or you file a federal lawsuit under claims of violation of Section 504, you are going to shut down pretty much all cooperation with your school district. It also may create a hostile environment for your student as well as you. And if your child's in kindergarten, you're dealing with this district for 13 years. It'd be a little different situation than your child being a senior in high school and filing a complaint. So you need to take all of these things into consideration. But that said, sometimes it is necessary. So if you don't know where you are in that process, again, feel free to reach out. If you don't have a local advocate, don't have someone, a legal professional in your area that's familiar with your district, feel free to reach out to us. We can talk you through it and come up with possible situations. Or in my case, since I'm an attorney only licensed in Mississippi, but I am a parent of a child with food allergies who has specialized knowledge in this area. If nothing else, we can discuss what I would do in your situation. And that might give you some ideas of where to go from here. You bring up such an excellent point of not going nuclear on the first offense. Because you're right. A lot of times it's just an error, error in communication. Somebody forgot. It's it's not jumping right in and assuming the worst, but it's trying to work through it. And I think that's something we need to hear as parents because I even know, you know, I've seen friends and myself too. Like you said, we just go straight up and need to call somebody to be talked off the the ledge and and bring it down. So this is incredibly helpful. You know, like you said, of course, we just want as parents or caregivers of a student with food allergies, of course, we want what's best for our student. So we have that emotional investment and the emotional response when we feel our child is being threatened or put at risk. So I'm not saying you shouldn't have these responses. It's normal. It's natural. But you need to temper it and take time to take a step back and try to look at it from an objective or as objectively as possible. But I will also say that accidents happen. Mistakes happen. I am a parent of a student with food allergies. I am an advocate, a food allergy advocate. I have been living in the food allergy world for almost 15 years now. And I still make mistakes. So if I make mistakes, how can I expect a teacher or another school employee who doesn't have the same personal and professional experience that I have with food allergies to be perfect? No one's perfect. And as I always say, we have to remember that most people get into education for the right reason. Now, we know over years of dealing with all the bureaucracy and all the standardized testing and all the pressures that we put on educators across the country, they can become jaded and they can become frustrated with their job and they may lose sight of why they initially got into education, but that person is still deep down inside them somewhere. So if we can hit on that as well, then we're good and we draw them back in and we bring them back into the solution instead of creating more problems by butting heads. Um, There are a lot of little work throughs and workarounds that we can do to meet these problems head on and deal with them. We just have to put our heads together and come up with what that is. Really what I'm hearing from you, there's just a lot of brainstorming and strategizing. And as the volcano erupts, you know, have your, your feelings, your emotions, but then step back 
and then start strategizing. And I really like how you're bringing up the point of the long-term relationship, because I think we do get a little myopic when something happens and just what's right in front of us is everything. But really, we need to take a little breath and think about the long-term relationship and how we can deal with the situation at hand and nurture that relationship forward. These are excellent points. So lastly, I want to ask you, how can a parent or caregiver learn about their civil rights and when and how to use them? Well, again, I would direct people to the accommodations tab on our website, foodallergyawareness.org. There are lots of great overviews and a ton of information on these federal disability laws and how they apply to food allergies and the rights of individuals with food allergies. Additionally, we offer education programs throughout the year. Not only do we have many podcasts on civil rights advocacy issues, but we also offer a parent education session for the parents of students that attend Camp TAG. And I'm always a speaker on civil rights advocacy. And we offer education sessions for parents. And I am excited to say students is on our, are on our agenda this year, too trying our teen retreat, which is coming up in Oakbrook, Illinois in September. So if you haven't looked into that and you have a teenager, you might want to because it's always a great weekend and I will be there speaking to the parents. And then I have time with the middle schoolers and the high schoolers to discuss self-advocacy. And so these educational opportunities are there as well. And then you get that personal in-person one-on-one time. And then finally, of course, you can still always reach out to me by email. My email address is amelia.smith at foodallergyawareness.org. Oh, and I forgot. We also have a wonderful facts group that Caroline helps to administrate. We have Caroline and also Kristen Osborne, our vice president of education. It is, and correct me if I'm wrong, Caroline, because I always, it's a long title. So it's facts parent of high schoolers and college students, I believe. And it is great. You it got it. Great, too. So if you have a student in high school or college, you can search for that on Facebook. Now, there are some requirements to join the group, but, you know, it's it shouldn't be too daunting. And if you have problems with it, I'm sure Caroline wouldn't mind you reaching out to her or Kristen as well. Oh, absolutely. I think it's really important for everyone to know that FACT really is here for you. You can email our general box and Share what you're looking for, share what's going on, and we will make sure you get to the right spot. I mean, I think that's one of the things that makes FACT so special is we are here with you shoulder to shoulder. So Amelia, it is time for us to wrap up. Is there anything else you would like to share with listeners before we say goodbye? So it's important to keep in mind that these issues occur for everyone. You're not alone we're here for you. It's okay to have the emotions. It's just not necessarily okay to react when you are in that emotional state because you can do more harm than good. Think things through. Brainstorm. Just because the school says no, it's not the end of the world. There are ways to work through it without having to go nuclear most of the time. And if all else fails, we at Factor are here for you. 
wonderful advice, Amelia. And I promise to you and listeners, I will put all the links in the show notes of all the different templates and information that you have mentioned. I will put everything in the show notes, your email address, so that our listeners have everything. But thank you so much for your time today. It has been a tremendous podcast packed full of really good information. So thank you, Amelia. Thank you, Caroline. Can't wait till next time. Yes, you will be back. Before we say goodbye today, we just want to highlight one more time FACT's platinum sponsor, the National Peanut Board, and we would like to thank them for their years of continued support and partnership. Thank you for listening to FACT's Roundtable Podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Have a great day and always be kind to one another.